Well, Merry Christmas week to all of you guys. It's a blessing. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. Um, hey, if you guys have a shopping to do, um, two things on that still. Um, God bless you. We will pray for you, for your safety, for your wisdom on what to pick out. Don't go to Walgreens like Pastor Terry. There's better places to shop. Um, and then the second one is I'm going to try to get you out of here with a little bit of time maybe under your belt to be able to be blessed during this season as a early Christmas present to each and every one of you. Uh, we know that it's a busy and often stressful time of year for many reasons, financially stressful, sometimes relationally, relationally stressful. Um, but the goal here is to provide just a little bit of uh, joy and blessing during this season. And one of the reasons or one of the ways that I want to be able to bring a little bit of Christmas joy is by a Christmas joke. So I have my favorite Christmas joke. I've told it before, but I bet you don't remember because of the stress of this season. So I'm going to tell it again, and we'll see if you guys enjoy this. It says this, about two weeks before Christmas, a little Catholic boy decided to write a letter to Santa. That's not the joke. He started, Dear Santa, he thought, no, I will go to a higher authority. So he decided to write a letter to Jesus. Dear Jesus, if you get me a bike for Christmas, I will be good for two weeks. No, 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 no. I can't be good for two weeks, he thought to himself. So he started all over again. Dear Jesus, if you get me a bike for Christmas, I will be good for one week. No, 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 no. I can't be good for one week, he thought to himself. So he quickly ran to the study and grabbed their statue of Mary and quickly wrapped it up in a blanket. He started all over again, this time writing, Dear Jesus, I have your mother. If you ever want to see her again, get me a bike for Christmas. Well, that's one way to get a gift, huh? What a funny thing. You know, really, honestly, uh, the heart of the matter is we do believe that this oftentimes is a very busy, very um, oftentimes difficult season. Uh, there are a lot of stresses um, for, for good reason. Um, but we wanted to bring joy and hope and restoration during this season. So we've been talking and teaching a series about the nativity. And I've really enjoyed it. We've been breaking it apart, this whole idea of nativity. Nativity is just a word that means um, the, the surroundings, the, the things that are happening around one's birth. Specifically, we're talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. Christ being that nativity. And I get to wrap that series up this weekend. Um, officially, uh, for the weekends, we will obviously be talking a little bit about that and about Jesus on our Christmas Eve services. But this weekend, we're going to conclude with the fourth message of the nativity series. And what I wanted to do was actually read the entire account of the nativity story to us this morning from the book of Luke. There's two different versions of this. There's two different uh, places where you'll find this. One is in Matthew. One is in Luke. Really, the only big difference is, is Luke talks about the shepherds and Matthew talks about the, the magi or the wise men. But we're going to read the version in Luke this morning. So if you guys have your Bibles, pull them out. Um, as Pastor John has said before, if you ever wanted to know a good place to bring your Bible, church is a wonderful place to do that. We will actually be reading out of it today. Uh, and it's going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. And if you don't have your Bibles, you're welcome to follow along behind me. And it says this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world shall be registered. The first census took place while Quirinius was governing, governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth, 
forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, a sh- with, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. What an awesome story. What an awesome story that we read traditionally during this time of year because it's the time of year when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. In fact, as you see behind me, this idea of nativity is often played out with this scene that's depicted right here. Many of us have them in our homes. Many of us have heard or read this story before, even if you have never been part of church and today's your first day in church, I bet you, you've seen this scene before and you probably have even heard the story of the nativity. It's something that's widespread. It's something that's global and it's something that during this time of year, most of us, many of us focus on. But in order to fully grasp the weight of this story, the understanding of the importance of what this story means, we have to make sure that we're looking at it through the correct lens. And as we came together as a teaching team and talked about this final concluding message to the series Nativity, we talked about what, are, what do we want to share? What do we feel like the heart of God is to share during this? Because obviously we talked already about the shepherds. We've talked about the wise men. We've talked about a lot of the elements of this story. What is it that God wanted to, to speak during this time? And it was very clear what we felt like the Lord had said, and it was this. Talk about the reason for this story. Well, the reason for this story specifically has to do with Jesus, as we all know. But more importantly, what we wanted to talk about, and what what specifically I wanted to share with everybody this weekend, was I wanted to, I guess in all reality, I want to take the nativity story and the version of it that often we see it as or we read it as, and I want to blow it up a little bit in a holy way. And I want to put it back together in the way that I I feel like God really intended it for us to be. See, here's, here's the reason that I really feel like that's where we need to go this morning and what God was saying, because I think the way that we read this story, the way that we see this story, the way that we view this story, the way that we present this story on all different avenues, whether it be the movies that we watch, whether it be the nativity scenes that we set up here on the stage, whether it be the nativity scenes that we have at our homes, they're a culturally sanitized version of what really was going on during this period in time. Now, I don't think that we've gotten it all wrong, necessarily, but I do think that as Christmas has become more commercialized and as we've gotten further and further and further away from the actual birth of Christ, there's been this commercial sanitization of this story that really was never meant to be sanitized in any way, shape, or form. That word sanitized, just so that we're all on the same page, here's what I mean. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary uses the word sanitize, and it defines it as this, to make something more pleasant and acceptable, 
by taking things that are unpleasant or offensive out of it. So let's take that idea of sanitization when it comes to the nativity story. The nativity story is often commercially sanitized in a way that makes it more pleasant and acceptable by taking things that are unpleasant or offensive out of it. Now, when I read about Jesus and I read about the ministry of Christ, I read about where he goes and what he does and the things that he says and the ways that he does it, I don't think that there were any, um, he didn't hold any, any punches. He, he did things in a way that was not politically correct. He didn't sanitize what he said. He, he said things that were offensive. He did things that were offensive. They were right, but they were still offensive to the culture and to the place where he was. But I think that we've gotten so far away from the story of even the birth of Christ that we have unintentionally many times done that with this story. And so what I want to talk about today is to be able to look at this story through the right lens, not the commercially sanitized version of this story, but the beautifully messy version of the story that it really is. I don't know if when you look at the nativity scene behind me, you see a beautifully messy story, but my hope and my prayer is that when we all walk out of here this weekend, that we all can see it for the great beauty of the mess that was happening during this period of time. You say, okay, well, what do you mean, Pastor Marcus? Well, here's what I mean. One of the sanitized versions of this nativity story goes something like this. It's real simple. It says, a sweet baby king came to earth to make everything perfect. When this sweet baby king came to earth to make everything perfect, it looked something quite like this. He was born here, his mother Mary and his father Joseph, cuddling him and holding him. And because he was the king of the world, because he was the son of God, he didn't cry. He was born clean and perfect and everything was wonderful. And if you've had a child, we've had multiple children, I know right there at that moment we've sanitized that story. Because when children come into this world, they're not the quietest things. They tend to cry. They tend to let you know that there are needs that they have, right? But we read this story that there's this amazing baby king that's born into this incredible environment. And then, lo and behold, what happens? These shepherds show up with their perfect sheep following them. Very calm, very small comparatively, but very calm coming to this place. And then right behind them are these three wise men. Three, I don't know why, it doesn't say three anywhere in the Bible, there, but there's these three wise men, these magi that come to honor Christ. And it's just this amazing picture that we paint of perfection. Everything just culminated at one place and one time, and it was just perfect. In fact, you go and watch the movie, and it's like the star shines its light over the cave where they are, and everybody's just in awe and in wonder. Well, I don't think we got everything wrong. I don't want to say that. I don't want to ruin completely Christmas or your nativity scenes. I'm not asking you to go home and throw away these incorrect versions of the story. But what I do want to do is talk about the real version of this. But the sanitized version, when we think about it as a sweet baby king came to make everything perfect, we see our nativity sets that look like this. Here's the reality. You see, Jesus was a king that came to earth. But he wasn't born in a palace like a normal king. You know, most kings got to be king because of their lineage. Even Jesus was able to be king because of his lineage. He came directly from God, the, the, the creator of this world. Most kings, though, were born in palaces. And everybody saw that they were born in a palace. 
And as they grew older, they knew that this child would one day become king, and they were honored and revered even from such a young age. And that's a beautiful story whenever we think about the kings that are born into palaces. But our Savior, the King of Kings, wasn't born in a palace. He was actually born in the dirtiest place that this innkeeper, who we're going to talk about here in a little bit, had. This place was a place of filth, a place of of disgust, a place where all of the animals were. And how do we know this? Because it says that when Jesus was born, he was taken and he was laying in a manger. What's a manger? A manger is an animal's feeding trough. That's it. A manger is an animal's feeding trough. The king of this world wasn't born into this perfectly sanitized, amazing environment. He was born with all of these animals and laid in a manger, an animal's feeding trough, as a child and as a baby. I don't know that we necessarily recognize that when we look at this scene or when we read this story. But Jesus wasn't born in a palace. And amazingly, being the king of kings, he did not demand any special treatment. He didn't demand for these guys to come and to bring him gifts. And he also, and I know this is going to be difficult for some of us to swallow, Jesus did not come to make everything perfect. How do I know that? Because if Jesus came to make everything perfect, 2,000 years later, he completely failed in his job. Seriously. Look around in the world that we live in today. We do not live in a perfect world. I, for sure, the things that I see in the day and age that we live in, it is not a perfect world. And if Christ came to make this world perfect, to make everything perfect, I'm screwing it up because I'm not perfect. And you're screwing it up because you're not perfect. You see, Christ's desire was not to come to make everything perfect. That was not his hope. That was not his desire. But oftentimes, I think that's the way we think about what he came to do. And if that's the version of this story, the commercially sanitized version, we are only given the opportunity to be disappointed. In fact, I think that because we've sanitized this so much, there is a portion of this world, when they look at this, they think, okay, if Christ Jesus came truly as the king of kings and came to make all things perfect and this is the world that I live in today, how can I trust in him or the message that he had? But that was never the message that Christ had. You see, that's the sanitized version of the message. The messy, the beautifully messy version of this story goes something very simply like this. A savior named Jesus came to a broken world to save the lost. It's very simple. A Savior named Jesus, given directly from God, came into a broken world not to fix the brokenness of the world because he couldn't. Because sin has entered into this place and it will never be perfect. It will never be completely clean. It will never be all right and all okay while we live here. But what he came to do was to save those who are lost. That's the way that we need to see this story. You see, the world was... And it still is very broken, with many broken people. But the good news is that Jesus came to make them whole. He didn't come to take away all of the pain necessarily here. He didn't come and promise something that he couldn't 
give. And that was to say, you will never have any more difficulties. You will never have any more trials. You will never have any more pain. If you believe that I'm the Son of God, everything in your life is going to be perfect. Unfortunately, that's not the case. That's not the story that's presented to us. The story that's presented to us is that we have Jesus as a Savior, as a baby that was given to us to make us whole, to save us. You know, thinking about this the sanitized version of this, and one of the reasons that often we operate in the way that we do during this season comes from a portion of the scripture that we just read, specifically about the innkeeper, like I, I talked about, the, the guy who gave this messy place to, um, to Mary to be able to have baby Jesus. And in, in this portion of scripture, there, it says that, that they had baby Jesus and they laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Well, from that piece of Scripture, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard a message taught like this, but we've taught messages, very sanitized messages, very safe messages that say this exact phrase, make room for Jesus. You guys ever heard a message like that? Make room for Jesus. Well, when we talk about a commercially sanitized version of the nativity story, make room for Jesus fits really, really well. Because make room for Jesus sells nativity sets. Make room for Jesus gets us out to the movie theaters. In fact, make room for Jesus, that story make, or that idea, make room for Jesus, the sanitized version of it, you know what it does? Is it, fill, it fills church services all over this world on Christmas Eve. It does. We will have more people as a church here and across this world, churches will be more full on Christmas Eve than they will any other time of the year, maybe outside of Easter. Because what they're doing in their lives is they're making room for Jesus. And you think, well, Pastor Marcus, isn't that a good thing? Well, in a way it is. But in a way, it's also a very unfortunately sanitized version of what Christ wanted us to do. Because make room for Jesus, what that says and speaks to so many believers across this world and unbelievers alike is this. Jesus is coming over as a house guest to stay at your home for a little while. He wants to, through the Christmas holidays, come over, and you need to make room for him. You need to make sure that things are right, things are nice, things are clean, things are appropriate, that there's a space for him in your life during this season. And what people do all across the world because they inappropriately understand why Jesus came. They inappropriately see this nativity understanding of this story. What they do is they, they make room for Jesus. They say, you know what? I'm going to make room for him. And you know how I'm going to make room for him? I'm going to slate a whole hour of a day to go to a service to get dressed up really nice and to be able to appease Christ. But unfortunately, this idea of make room for Jesus is really not what I think this whole story is about. You know, it, I, I thought about this and actually found um, a great illustration. I think if you're having trouble latching onto this, I think maybe this illustration, this video, will help you understand the way that I think we operate in our lives quite often when we talk about making rooms. So why don't you guys watch this? Morning, Dad. My parents are coming tonight. What? I forgot to tell you. How much time do we have? Maybe a few hours. Stay calm. We've got this. Wow. 
Did you spend money on a new carpet? Well, no. This can't be the same one. Mm. It feels so soft. No, it is. We just like to keep things clean around here. You guys should visit more often. Resolve, a cleaner, softer carpet every time. <laughs> That's his favorite sweater. <laughs> That's funny. You know why that's funny? You know why you laugh? Because that's you. And that's me. Because I know exactly the way that this feels. Just recently, and you know, being in the holiday season, whether it be Thanksgiving or Christmas, coming into Christmas, you will, many of you will likely be a house guest somewhere or you will host house guests in your house because that's the way that the holidays work. And when you are the host, I did this over Thanksgiving with my wife. When you are the host, the desire that you have is to hide your junk, make everything look perfect and clean so that when those people come over, they're amazed. You really live this way? Everything's absolutely perfect in this environment? And we do that and we laugh at it because it's funny because literally we feel like that that's honoring to those people, that that's honoring to those guests to create this false environment but all we're really doing is shoving our junk in a closet and making us look healthy and right and clean and correct on the outside. And we laugh about that when we host house guests. But if we look at the nativity story and the birth of Christ as this idea that he wants us to make room for him during a season, then we have fooled ourselves that that's the way that we should operate because what we do is we spiritually act like this in our lives all the time specifically over the holiday season, thinking that if we can put our junk away in the closet and we can make everything look good and clean and sanitized in our lives and I can go pull out and dust off the old suit and tie and show up to church once, that I'm making Jesus happy because that's what he wants. That's a sanitized version of the nativity story because Christ did not come. God did not give his son eventually to be murdered, but he did not give him as a baby to come and be a house guest with you for a week. And if you live your life as a believer, operating in that way, thinking you're making Christ happy, you are not. Acting like we're clean and things are perfect around this holiday season is not what makes Jesus happy. It's not what brings fulfillment even to your life. In fact, what it does is it gets you stuck in the process of thinking that this commercially sanitized version of the nativity story is the way that we're supposed to operate and the way that we're supposed to live and that everything's good. And as long as on the outside things are clean and things look good, then everything is good, right? Wrong. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 5 Verse 31 through 32, he said with his own words, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Christ came to this very world not to look for people who were clean and healthy and safe and good. Christ came to this earth to look for people who were messed up and dirty and sinful that needed a savior. But oftentimes we think we're playing it safe by hiding all of that stuff. Well, that's the sanitized version. We take all the things that are offensive out of our lives to present this perfection in front of Christ. And ultimately, what this scripture says is that's not who Jesus is looking for. 
Jesus is looking for people that live in a beautifully messy world, that are messed up in a beautiful way, that he is the only answer to be able to heal, to fix, to save, to make whole. That's the message of Jesus Christ. The beautifully messy version of this is that Christ is not looking for people who are going to make room for him. You know what's funny? The greatest part about making room for somebody as a guest is what? All of you guys know it. Eventually, they will leave. Eventually, you will get your home back and you can do whatever you want. Eventually, there's going to be 51 weeks out of the year that if you don't want to host a guest, you don't have to. You can keep your junk on the floor. And that's funny when it's in the lives that we live here in the physical, but it's not funny when we do that spiritually because Christ didn't come for us to get cleaned up for a week or two. He didn't come to allow us and encourage us to make room for him so that one day he can leave, hopefully very soon, so I can get back to my stuff and the things that I want, the words that I want to speak. I can't say cuss words during the week of Christmas because, you know, Jesus is watching. What Christ came to do is to be a permanent resident in your life and in your heart. Jesus came so that, and he came for those who are willing to say yes to him. Yes to all that he wants, yes to all that he desires, yes to everything that he brings, because what he brings is wholeness, what he brings is life, what he brings is peace and joy, what he brings is freedom, what he brings is healing that can only come if we allow him to take up permanent residency in our lives and in our hearts. He didn't come into a perfect environment, into this world like we talk about, and he doesn't care if your life is perfect. He doesn't care the sin that you come with. He doesn't care the words that you say. He doesn't care how you have lived or operated or are acting at this very moment in time. What he cares about is are you going to say yes to his hand that's extended to you and are you going to bring him in as a permanent resident of your life? Because that's what he cares about. And that's why God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth to claim residency of your heart. And as he does that, then we are transformed. And as we allow that, then we are healed and made whole. But we have to see it through the right lens. Because he doesn't want to be a house guest. He wants to be ultimately, eventually, the owner of your life. Is he the owner of your life? You know, as we look at this story, I don't have to spend a whole lot of time in it because we've already read it and we've already talked about it over the last few weeks, but I think as we look at the nativity story, we look, the thing that is resoundingly standing out to me as I read it is a group of people. The people that this story focuses on are the people, the only people at this period of time in the entire world who said yes to Jesus. In fact, it starts out with Mary being in a place by herself, visited by an angel who says, I'm going to give you a baby, and it's going to be a miraculous baby. And Mary says, okay, I don't know how that's possible. Not even sure exactly how this is going to play out, but yes, yes, I'll allow it. 
And then it continues on forward in this story. And it continues to the place where Mary goes and talks to her, her betrothed husband. And, and in this period in time, what's, what's interesting is that there's a, there's a period where you are technically, and you're legally married for, for about a period of a year traditionally in the Jew, Jewish culture, and that's called the betrothal period. And that's what Mary and Joseph were in. They were in this betrothal period. So they were technically married. On, on, on all paperwork and all those kinds of things, they were married. Now, because of their traditions and their culture, you had to wait about that period of time, that year, before you could um, consummate the marriage and before you could become fully engaged in all the great blessings and benefits of what being married comes with, as we all understand who are married. So they were waiting for that period in time. And so Mary, during that time, comes to Joseph, her husband, and says, hey, um, sweetheart, uh, I'm pregnant. I don't know about you guys, but if before my wife and I had fully gone down that path and enjoyed all the benefits and blessings of marriage, and she told me that she was pregnant, I think I would have a problem. But guess what? Scripture doesn't hold any bars. The dirty, messy piece of the story, it actually recounts that, that Joseph himself actually was contemplating divorcing Mary. Go back and read it. It says he was thinking about divorcing her. And yet, something inside of him told him to say yes. Told him to say yes. You know what? Yes, I'm going to say yes. No matter how much this freaks me out, no matter whether you live or die, because this a woman getting pregnant before a marriage was completed was guilty of many things and therefore responsible to be brought to death. And he said yes to all of those things, not knowing what the future was going to look like, not knowing in the scariness of all of the, the differences of the things that life was going to bring. But they said yes. Ultimately, taking an eight or nine month pregnant woman on a 70 to 80 mile journey from where they were living to his hometown, only to have that baby in the dirtiest of places. But they said yes. How about the shepherds? We just talked about them last weekend. If you missed that message, go back. I don't need to spend a whole lot of time. But these shepherds are minding their own business, doing their job, tending to their flock when an angel comes and freaks them out. In fact, it freaks them out so much that he has to say, don't worry, don't worry, don't run away. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, these shepherds had one of two options. They had the option of running away from this vision this thing that they saw in front of them, or standing, listening, and responding, you know what, I have no idea what just happened. But yes, I'll go. I'll leave my sheep behind, I'll go, and I'll go find this baby that you're talking to me about. I don't know what you're talking about, but there's something inside of me that just has to say yes. How about the Magi? We talked about that two weeks ago. Go back and listen. Pastor John did an incredible job talking about the Magi, about these wise men, these men that were wealthy beyond any imagination, these men that had been studying um, scriptures and prophecy and whatnot, that one day took everything that they had and said, you know what? I don't care about this. I'm going to jump on my camel or donkey or walk. I don't know how they got there, but they followed a star in faith that it would lead them to something that was valuable. Faith, the, the, the definition of faith, the biblical definition of faith is being sure of what you hope for 
and certain of what you do not see. These wise men who studied the stars in faith and something that they did not see and did not know believed that there was something calling their heart and that was Jesus and they said yes to it. And because they said yes, they were able to bring him gifts of honor as he was growing up. What an incredible deal. And then how about the innkeeper? The guy who probably gets the bad rap of the story. Because people are like, you stinking jerk. You took a woman having a baby, told her, I'm sorry, I have no place for you, and shoved her in there with your animals? Well, I have a very different view of that story. Because the, if looked at through the right lens, the innkeeper is actually, I think, somebody who understood what it meant to say yes. Because at this period of time, as we read in this story, there was a census going on. And what that meant was every single person who had ever been born in Bethlehem, male, had to travel back to his hometown. So you could imagine the hundreds, if not thousands of people who were born there but didn't live there anymore had to come back to be able to be counted in that census. And therefore, he legitimately had no room. Whether it was a hotel or his house or whatever it may have been, he did not have room. It didn't matter who you were. But you know what? He was wise enough to recognize that he could have turned Mary and Joseph away, say no to this baby Jesus that was going to be born. Or he could say yes to them and give them what he had. He didn't have much. And what he had was messy, dirty, filthy, nasty, but it was it. That's all he had. It was gross. But he said, yes. You know what? Yes, you can have that. Yes, you can go and have your child there. And it's at this point in the story where I think that we can easily transition and, and bring an understanding of the heart of the matter that Christ has for us. And that is this. Even in your filth, even in your mess, even in the junk of life and the pain and the sin and the discomfort and all of the other things that you bring to the table, Christ is not looking for that to get cleaned up before you can say yes. Christ is looking for you to say yes in the middle of the mess. He's looking for people during this time specifically as we focus on the birth of Christ like the innkeeper that say, I don't have much and what I have is a mess. Yes, yes, you can have that. Christ is looking for people with messed up lives, messed up people with messed up lives, me being the first, that are willing to say yes to him, to come and to reside in their hearts and their lives forever. Because that's what he cares about. He doesn't care about how clean you are. In fact, the cleaner, the worse, because the more we distance ourselves from even feeling like we need a savior. But I'll tell you what, Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And we are all at one point in time in our lives lost. Will you say yes in your life? Will you look at this story through a different lens? I hope that you walk out of here ruined for the culturally sanitized version of this and that every time you see one of these scenes, you recognize that there is a savior being held in the arms of his mother that is waiting for you to say yes to him that is yearning and longing for you to say yes to the life that only he can bring.
Because as you fast forward through the rest of that story, here's what happens. He came to save you in ways that you could never even imagine. In fact, he gave his very life for you. The only way that you and I could get to heaven one day where it is perfect is through Christ Jesus and the, the life that he gave on the cross for you. He shed his blood for you. He sacrificed everything for you. Are you willing to say yes to that? Because that's all it requires. The doors of heaven are open to us because of us saying yes to him. Period. That's easy. Wow, that's easy. So, I guess the challenge is, is where you at with that? Many of us in this room have said yes. And I felt like the Lord wanted to encourage you in that to continue to say yes. Yes is not just a momentary yes. Yes is an everyday occurrence. And I know many of us, if not all of us, have in our lives still those closets that we've shoved the junk in thinking that we're hiding it from Christ and he's just waiting for us to open the door and say yes to him, to unload the entire mess so that he can come and bring health and life through it all. But there's also a portion of people in here that maybe you grew up and even still to this day think that showing up to church or reading your Bible or getting dressed up for Christmas Eve service is making Jesus happy and that that's what's going to appease him and allow the doors of heaven to be open to you. And I'm here to tell you, you are wrong. I don't care what your attendance record is at church. If it's been perfect since you were born, it doesn't matter because going to church does not get you to heaven. Reading your Bible does not save you from this world. And from the sin of this world, only Christ Jesus can do that. And the only way that we get to participate in what he has given us is by willingly saying, yes, yes, I accept your life through what you did on the cross. And if you've never done that, today is the day. Today's the day because today is all you know you have. Don't wait. Don't wait to put your suit and tie on in a few days to say yes. Say yes to him. Oh, we're going to pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I specifically just want to pray if there's anybody in this room, and I believe that there are, I know that there are people in this room that have never said yes to that. They've never said yes to a Savior. They never said yes to the hand that's extended to them from the only one that could give them life eternally. Today is the day to say that, and I want to give you an opportunity. And it's not about what I say. It's not about what I do. It's not about how I act. It's not about what I pray. It's about what you do and what you say to Christ. But if you are here and you wanna do that this morning, then I just wanna encourage and challenge you even if it's fearful to raise your hand so that I could just say a quick prayer for you. So anybody here? Yep, gotcha. Yep, gotcha. Anybody else here? Yep, gotcha. Anybody else? Yep, got you guys in the back. Anybody else here that just needs to say yes to Jesus this morning? It's as easy as that. Okay. Yep, gotcha. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. We thank you first and foremost for the life that has come through Jesus, that it is as easy as saying yes to Christ and that through that you bring life, not just here on earth, but life eternally in heaven. And for every person that just raised their hand right now, Lord God, I pray that that yes would not be a yes, come over and hang out with me for a little while, but that yes would change their lives eternally because of you coming in and claiming residency of their heart and ownership of their lives, Lord God. For every one of you that raised your hand and those of you who did not, 
but you're doing it in your heart, I want to challenge you that Christ wants a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to spread his love and give his life to you. And this is only day one. God, I thank you for the life abundantly that you bring us as we walk with you. And God, I pray that every one of us who have also already made that stance and already taken that position, Lord God, that we would be able to actively do that every single day, continually handing over our mess, our filth, our junk to you, being humble enough to know that you're the only one that can bring healing and hope and restoration in us. God, we thank you for your life. We thank you for all that you have brought us. We say yes to you in your name we pray. Amen.